Good afternoon, everyone. And I'm so excited here to have two of my mentors, two of my friends, two people I consider brothers of mine with me today. The double B himself, Blaine Bartlett. BlaineBartlett.com. How are you, Blaine? I could not be better. I'm actually having a wonderful time up here on the island. I was just uh, mentioning to you know, Rhett where I was at and sun is shining. Uh, the rain has stopped and flowers are blooming. Well, that's beautiful. It's so interesting to me because, you know, so many movies have been made about Freaky Friday where, you know, the kid switches personalities with the mom. And I don't know what we did uh, in the last exotic resort we were at, but I think we switch weather patterns. And so uh, here in Southern California, we're uh, now the new Seattle. And it seems like Woobie Island may be the new Southern California. We are raining again today. We have more rain as of April 13th. And this year in 2023 than Seattle uh, and more gray days, I think, as well. So uh, thank you very much for the Freaky Friday or Freaky Thursday, <laughs> since we always meet on Thursdays. But are we blessed or what to have my other brother in the house, Rhett Power? He is the CEO, co-founder of Accountability, Inc., best-selling author, as everyone knows, an extraordinary executive coach, columnist at Forbes or developer of whatever he does, but he is an amazing soul. <laughs> And that's why I love him here, uh, because every time I see Rhett, and we've been around the world together, many different countries, sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't, uh, which is one of my favorite things. We'll be in the middle of Barbados. It's like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but Rhett Flowers, well, welcome to Office Hours. That's good to be here, man. Uh, Blaine, Dave, David. Hey, it's, it's a blessed day, right? absolutely blessed to have both of you here. And I'm going to start with the word accountability uh, because it's been an evolution for me. And you've built a company about accountability. So originally, when I was younger, my mom had a saying. She would say, son, quit living below the line and blame, shame, and justification. She said, you're responsible for everything in your life. And then I met all my friends at TLC you know, all the people who made the movie The Secret, the Blaine Bartlett's and the John Asseroff's and Bob Proctor's and Lee Browers of the world, all the greats. And they taught me about the law of attraction. And I added that into accountability. I not only wanted to learn lessons by being responsible, but I wanted to learn lessons by what I was attracting, the people, the places, the situations in my life. And then I went to therapy, Rhett, um, in, in my 50s. And my therapist had a real problem. Uh, I, I had some childhood trauma uh, and awful situation as a nine-year-old. And I said, but this is okay. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, I never needed therapy because I attracted this into my life and I'm supposed to learn from it. Mm -hmm. And he took a picture of me when I was nine and he said, how is this boy attracting that into his life at nine. T tell me how this works. He says, what you're doing is you're participating in a perception and you still need to learn the lessons. I, that's why I'm here to help you to process and learn. But there is a third form of accountability of what are we doing to participate in this perception? What do we do to attract it? And what are we doing to be responsible you have taken these three different stages or evolutionary ideas and inter incorporated them into leadership accountability and corporate executive accountability. Um, 
how has your evolution and understanding uh, really impacted the, what you do at Accountability Inc? Uh, I mean, that's a powerful way to start. And, uh, you know, I, I know that story and, I, and, and it's, um, you know, I, it makes me kind of emotional when you talk about it because it's, it's, it's a powerful story. I, look, I, I think accountability, um, you know, we often think of it in the, in the negative, right? It also, it has a negative connotation to it. We, we think, oh, I'm going to get punished. We think of it in terms of punishment. Oh, I'm accountable for that mistake. And um, here's the thing. Um, I think accountability is deeper than that. I think it's a value. I think it's a it's not about responsibility. It's, it's, it's more than just responsibility for for your actions or for the results. Right. It's more than responsibility for the, the CEO being responsible for the, the quarterly numbers. It's really about the accountability is, I think, a, a deep, deeply held value. And look, I, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were alarmed when I said this and I can't believe I'm going to say it. But I think we have another pandemic going on in, in the world. And it's and I think it's it's our leadership that is truly failing. Uh, we're failing as leaders. We're failing as, as business owners and leaders. And, the, and here's here's my proof. The average lifespan of a business is eight years. The Fortune 500, you used to be on the Fortune 500 75 years. Now it's 11. 90% of our small business fail. 90% uh, of our small businesses fail. You know, the Gallup research recently talked about how 50% of, of our managers, the people that we have lead our business, don't know what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. And so... We have, a, I think, we have an obligation. We have a, 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 we need to be accountable for that as leaders, because if I had a, a business challenge, if something was threatening my business, I'd go after it. I'd attack it. I'd attack the problem, right? I'd try to come up with a solution. But we're not, we're not acting on the on this this information. We're not acting on fixing our leadership. We're not acting on fixing. Um, the, internally, the the messes that we're creating as leaders, um, and that's why I'm passionate about this because I know we can fix these these issues. These are fixable. We we have fixable solutions to them, mm -hmm. um, but we've got to we've got to make the effort. We've got to change within ourselves. We've got to learn. We've got to grow, and we're not doing that. You know, I love the way that you're positioning that, Rhett. Uh, I've been working in leadership development for about forty years. And the distinct, you know, accountability is a state of mind, um, which, yeah, the law of polarity comes into play. What's the, what's the other end of that? Well, it's being a victim. Right. And, and when you're being a victim, you, you're, you lack resources. You don't have the wherewithal to actually move yourself and your organization to a different level. You right. settle, you settle. Yeah. And, the idea of, uh, and, I, and I love what you're talking about here, we have a failure of leadership and it is a pandemic. I'll look around the world today and mm -hmm. everything that we see can be fixed if we have leaders in place that know what leadership is actually about. Right. And yeah, David and I, you know, when we wrote Compassionate Capitalism, one of the premises that I worked with in the uh, drafting of that book was uh, leaders cause movement. What kind of movement are we causing? And we either cause movement through 
blindness or we cause it through intentionality. But right. every leader causes movement. So in the work that you do with your clients, and this is, I mean, I, I, I really would love to, we're going to have 15 minutes here and I can guarantee you <laughs> this is not going to happen. We can have him back. We can have him back. I know where to find him. <laughs> we're going to talk again. <laughs> but in the work you do with Accountability Inc., um, how do you disabuse people of the notion that accountability and blame are the same thing? Because they aren't the same thing. And when you start to decouple that, you begin to open up different ways for people to think and approach what they're doing. How does your work actually facilitate that process? It's hard. Yes. Um, very hard. <laughs> yeah, hands in the air. <laughs> um, but I think, it, you know, in our work, the light bulb goes on when they use our, our, our accountability, accountability man management system and they get everyone on the same page with their priorities and their objectives. Everyone in the organization um, is working and delivering on their commitments each week. Um, they see that the, the culture, I'm, work, I'm in Miami this week working with a, a client and they told me today, I have a saying, I attribute it to my friend, uh, Ryan Berman, but he likes to say, you have a got your back culture, not a watch your back culture, which I absolutely love. Yeah, when they love see that. that transformation happen in their businesses, Right. They, I don't think they believe me until they see that transformation. And that takes a couple of months of working in this system um, when they see that people are acting with positive intent. Uh, but when when they're when they when their businesses get uh, when they begin to have a culture of transparency and teamwork and trust, trust is a really important one. Um, when they understand each other's superpowers and blind spots um, and then they're not working in silos then they start to see that you start to see that transformation that accountability actually makes an organization fair. It makes it uh, able and capable to execute on the mission. You have people working together as a team. Um, that's when you see that transformation happen. And I, and I don't think people believe our work is going to transform their, their organizations like it does until they see that. Mm -hmm. uh, because that, you, you don't you don't believe that Min, not many of us have worked in an organization like that. Yeah. Right. And and, and that's that's it's a really powerful transformation that, that these companies go through. And that's how we bridge that gap. I mean, it, it's I think people are a little skeptical. Right. That you mm -hmm. can turn that word from a, a, a negative into an absolute positive. Yeah. And the last issue I want to bring up for this session of Office Hours, because we'll have Rhett Power back uh, again, um, is another interesting uh, issue in this pandemic of leadership and its engagement. Hmm. Uh, probably the most uh, outstanding uh, poll that I see is what, what percentage have you, the last you've seen, uh, Blaine, about employee engagement? Um, the, the latest Gallup numbers, 87% of the global workforce is disengaged, emotionally disengaged in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And coming from the sports world, right, I, I just, in my mind, have been on bad teams. <laughs> and players on bad teams that aren't engaged because of leadership, right, either on the team leadership or coaching uh, leadership, all of a sudden it's amazing how many more injuries are causing people yeah. not to play. 
how many more people take them. So it, 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 it's engagement to me, whether it's your second best-selling book, the entrepreneur's book of actions that talk about, you know, habits and exercises to be smarter and wealthier and successful, all these things, or your power lunch live that I listen to all the time, probably one of the most popular LinkedIn shows uh, that is out there an interview show. This leadership and accountability in your book and everything is about how do we engage people with an activity they get paid for? And, you know, it drives me nuts that people would rather be engaged watching videos for three seconds and, and scrolling through videos for three seconds than making money, <laughs> right? Being engaged in helping people, providing value, all the things that these wonderful companies. And I think that technology is part of the problem that it's just too easy to get your work done and get your shit done that it doesn't take engagement anymore compared to working on the line at Ford. Uh, it, it took a lot of effort to get your shit done. Right. <laughs> Look, man, I, I asked my, my clients this question. It's one of the first questions I always ask them. And I love it that, that you just brought up sports, right? And, and that's your, that's your, that's your gig. And, and I, and I have a sports uh, question that I ask them, you know, it's like, how, you know, can you put your team right now, up against your best competitors and win. And, you know, is, is your team a championship team? And, and if, if you don't know the answer, or if you think, if you say you have to think about it, or I don't know, then that means you have work to do to fix that team. Yep. Right. Yeah. Now. If you don't know the answer to that question, you have work to do. Yeah. And you don't have, you probably have an engagement problem. You have a leadership problem. You have a, a trust problem and you have an accountability problem. And it just kind of trickles down from that emotional it, engagement. Yeah. It, one of the other things that that I found, even you know, with people that leave my company, I, I see as an indicator of leadership, engagement, productivity, accountability, is that most of the people, if not all, that leave my company are the stars on the other people's team. Mm -hmm. They can't, they can't keep up. And that's a, a really good sign for, for me. I, I love whether it's a good fit or not. I love to see super success from the people that weren't good enough to play on my team. Uh, you know, wow. no jealousy, no separation. I, I see it as a truly an indicator that I'm doing the right things, uh, whether it's a good fit or not. When, it, when someone leaves and like, oh my gosh, th this is so much easier. I'm blowing everyone away. I'm like, good. I'm doing the right things here. Rhett, just make me one promise. As you know, these are held to 15 minutes. Please come back. Yeah. Uh, we have so many other shows. I know Blaine wants you on his. He's a brother on the Marshall Goldsmith Top 100 Coaches. Uh, if you are a company out there and you want to make more money, help more people, and have more fun in the activity you get paid for, check out Rhett Power, rhettpower.com. Accountability Inc. will take you there. Uh, a great leadership consultancy firm. Uh, allowing us to be our best. Thank you. It's always good to see you, man. Thanks, brother. And hey, hey, take care, my friend. Thank you so much, Blaine. Thanks. Man. We will get connected. Yes, you sir. guys, absolutely. <laughs> legends, two legends. All right, we got Double B still here with me. That's Blaine Bartlett. BlaineBartlett.com. Uh, sorry if it was the yellow pages. We got Double A now double here. A. Alex yes. Atwood in the house. He'd hey, be right there ahead of Blaine Bartlett and. Uh, <laughs> We got to get to the D's before you get to David Meltzer, founder and CEO of Gravy Work, gravywork.com, health and wellness 
across the hospitality sector, uh, an innovative company. Welcome, Alex Atwood. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you guys. I'm really excited. <laughs> I love that conversation that just happened oh. um, about vulnerable leadership, servant leadership, all of that. Amazing. There's a massive shift happening right now in the business environment. And yeah. as an active CEO of a software platform that is uh, specifically a marketplace for or, um, for people in the service industry, uh, I've been connecting people for a very long time and finding ways to have every sort of level of employee be able to, uh, to engage. Because ultimately, you know, if you're in the hospitality industry, um, it's so important how those folks that are, you know, serving you, that are um, at your front desk taking your reservations, that are behind that bar serving those drinks at that wedding, each one of those people have to bring um, that spirit of service. So where does that come from? Well, it comes from within. It comes from wanting to be there right? You can't fake it in hospitality, right? And so <laughs> that's the industry I've been in a long time. And I've kind of cut, cut my teeth there. And, uh, and I'm happy to be on here. And I'm really happy to have a lead in uh, from Rhett. He has some really great stuff to say. Well, I'm just blessed again for you on here. So it still holds up to my uh, status of being making sure I'm not the smartest one in the room when I was with Rhett and Blaine, that was guaranteed. Now I'm still in the same position. So thank you for giving me an MBA MBA in the day. Uh, A lot of people don't know. I have a lot of really good people that work with me, as I just had mentioned. And a lot of times they'll ask me, how do you recruit your people? I recruit from the hospitality industry. Yeah. Uh, You know, I very often, if there's a hostess or a bartender or, you know, someone there, uh, because I can't train what I see when I'm in the hospitality space. I can't train that. I can teach Mm. skills, but there's just something that they get the repetitions of talking to people and making them feel good and adding value uh, to this experience. And I have a difficult time teaching it. And when I see people at their best, whether it be, you know, as you've introduced into warehouses, distribution, retail, construction, as well as, of course, traditional hospitality, uh, those characteristics. What are some of those characteristics that I am able to capture by hiring out of the hospitality industry that you've been able to transcend into warehouse workers, distribution, retail, and construction from yeah. the traditional uh, hospitality sector? Yeah, well, the the sec- it, it's, it's what I said before, right? There's a spirit to serve in that industry, right? And, you know, people don't necessarily get into the hospitality as a career unless they understand that right now there's there, there's two elements to hospitality at least the major components on the service level now we're, we're not talking about the corporate end of things but we're talking about a back of the house we're talking about a front of the house we're talking about people that are there to serve others right and when you look at the service industry in general you're talking about you know potentially hourly employees sometimes part-time employees you're talking about people that go out into the front lines customers aren't always so happy And they have to leave whatever has gone on at home and they have to show up with a smile, a genuine smile, and be able to serve and and have the customer be what their primary focus is, just really trying to enliven that guest day, right? Mm -hmm. And other other, jobs, other roles, other industries just don't have that. I mean, if you're talking about hiring developers for a tech team, they don't necessarily have to have personalities that are that engaging. They have to write quality code and they have to be able to do that well. Um, but when you look at that industry, you're talking about people that work hours, sometimes 
you know, five, six, seven hours beyond what they could work. You're talking about kitchens that are seriously short staffed. You're talking about chefs who are notoriously, notoriously. Um, how could we, how could we put it? Um, not as politically correct as, uh, as the rest of, uh, as the rest of some leaders in, in some other industries. And so with all of those different elements, you have to have people that are resilient. You have to have people that understand that whatever is going on with them is not the focus at that point. And those type of people do really, really well. And so there's certain industries that, you know, work similar to this. If you think about clear agents, if you've ever been to the airport airport, and you look at people in clear, um, the people that do really well there, they're super engaging. They're getting people to sign up for a service. And sometimes it's, it's by desperation. The line's too long. Hey, I need to, I need to get, you know, right to the gate, but, um, it takes that, it takes just something for them to engage in that conversation. Right. And for people in this industry, specifically the hospitality industry, it's notorious. It's a notorious laggard when it comes to what's happening in terms of employee engagement, what's happening in terms of the cutting edge of things. A, a good friend of mine is a CEO of Modus Hotels. His name's Adam Golentz. And he was brought on board because of his vulnerable style of leadership, because mm -hmm. they understood that, okay, if we're going to engage the people that are on the front lines dealing with them, we're, gonna, we're not going to engage with this sort of hierarchical, um, you know, I'm the boss and you wear this and you do this and you say that because that's going to be done in a way that isn't natural. It's not going to be genuine. And no matter where you are in an organization, you want to feel heard. Right. And so that's key. So, so to get back to your question, why is it that you would hire from that industry? Because you have people who are willing to do whatever it takes to get it done under high pressure circumstances, understanding that resilience is key in what they do. And they're only as good as the last thing that they've done. You can be behind a, uh, you know, you could be at a, a, a chef for a long time making all amazing dishes and suddenly you screwed up and that is it. And you, you may not be remembered for that amazing souffle you made last week, right? You're only going to be remembered for the one that collapsed today because you were thinking yeah. about what was going on at home. So, so you get that there's a fast, fast, um, uh, result in whatever it is that you do in hospitality. So when you have people that come through that, that sort of trial by fire, then they tend to do well in other environments that don't require that sort of, you know, that sort of heavy lift. And that's where, when you think about logistics, when you think about these other, you know, other service level jobs that are out there, hospitality people usually excel, but here's the thing. They don't necessarily like those roles because they, the nature of them is to interact with people. If you're truly a hospitality person, you are a people person, right? You are okay with being able to service people and have, and, and be in their world and what's going on, 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 on their end. And so when you put them into a warehouse specifically where they're being tracked and they're putting something in from here to here, to here, to here, they go crazy. And so in, in our industry, we completely I mean, obviously 2020 wasn't the best year for hospitality. And so we had to find a way to be able to redeploy this massive amount of workers. It, it wasn't okay for us just to say, okay, well, find it on your own. We had to find something to do. So two things we did, um, our internal team, the ethos has been treat each other, treat each other like we treat our customers, treat each other like, like we are a, like truly, truly connected and aligned. And so- a good friend of mine, Keith Ferrazzi, wrote a book, uh, Leading Without Authority. 
And uh, there's something around servant leadership. There's something around vulnerability, right? That now, what, what exactly what Brett was just saying is now the 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 way that you lead, the way that you engage, it comes from the top, and the hierarchical system of you know rigidity, you get you know that's just how it goes, and profits are it is quickly changing. I mean, with technology, people have a lot of options. People can work remote now, you know, and it's not just remote. People can quiet quit. That's the big thing, right? They can get on their phones and just do what they do and clock in their eight hours and do the minimum. Um, And that doesn't happen when you have a community within your own organization. So how do you do that? So what you do is you have conversations, vulnerable conversations with your team members. You ask them things like, I, 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 I was part of this, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of Landmark Forum, but uh, years ago, I took the Landmark Forum, <laughs> went through the entire thing, right? I, I went through the self-expression leadership program, went on my way to being a Landmark Forum leader in this whole deal. And um, there's something in the Landmark Forum that that they tell you, this is how you connect with others, right? You sit down and you can do this with your, with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your boss, whatever. They say, you sit down, you ask them two simple questions. Question one is, what can you count on me for? What can you count on me for? And question two, which is a little bit more difficult and requires some vulnerability is, what can you not count on me for? Right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're empl- now, if you have an organization that's transparent and connected, and um, it's always going to be a little bit difficult for a boss, to, to, for, for an employee or somebody in that position to answer that. But when you pose it that way, you get so much feedback and insight there. But more importantly, you build a connection with the person that you're with. I, I took that and started to implement it into my uh, my staffing company about 10 years ago and just started to have these massive breakthroughs with people. And it was difficult for me when they would tell me what they couldn't count on me for. Because I, my, my first reaction, well, yeah, I, wait, wait, you know, I, I but, okay. <laughs> you know, I get it. And when you really get it, you just build this connection yeah. that, just doesn't show up in the stale, empty, hierarchical, old school way of doing business. And, and I think where that's from, honestly, and, and, and look, it's, it's driven the business culture for, for decades and decades and decades. It's driven this office speak, office jargon that only belongs in the office. You don't use it when you're out of the office, right? And it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's inauthentic, right? So, so these days, servant leadership is where it's at. And, and hearing Rhett say that, and myself as an active CEO of a software company and having to be adaptable, there's really no other way to be um, if, if you want to survive in this market. So anyway, I know, I'm, I know I've given you a bunch, but I hopefully I answered your question at some point. Oh, yeah, more than answered <laughs> More than answered it. We got yeah. a few, few minutes, uh, Blaine. What do we got? Well, I, I'm struck here. You know, Just in the riff, uh, there was a couple of points that stood out for me. And one of them had to do with the front-facing nature of, of, of the employees. Uh, they are the company. They're the only point of contact. There's, there's a name badge behind the desk or up on the wall or whatever, but they are the company. And what struck out for me or what stood out for me was a distinction that uh, I've often made about you know, the difference between customer loyalty and customer satisfaction. And it was the souffle uh, mentioned here. Yes. The idea of uh, satisfaction is predicated on a transaction. And Absolutely. if I do the transaction well, you're going to be satisfied. I'm not going to hit the mark in every, every instance. But if I'm paying attention to the quality of the relationship, 
and this is where it really gets into the rubber meeting the road here, the quality of the relationship, and that's an interface based on authenticity and uh, accountability, reliability, uh, count, you know, what can you count on me for, those sorts of things. Loyalty begins to get built, and it you know, begins to show up in employee retention as well as customer retention. And that's, yeah, how do you, and this is the question I've got embedded in this, <laughs> yeah. in, in the little bit of time that we've got here, in the way that you uh, facilitate the, the connection between the workering, uh, you know, the workers that you know, are using the app and the employers that are seeking people to come in, how do you make sure that you've got to the degree that it's possible, those kinds of people that are organizing around relational quality? as opposed to transactional efficiency. Community building, um, having okay. uh, training that isn't just technical, having training. So so we do nonviolent communication training, NVC. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you guys, with doc, Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. Yep. We, I, I, I did something at the DC Central Kitchen called Conflict in the Kitchen, how to listen, right? So just, just, just being able to facilitate that requires discussion and transaction between the people there in that room and they start to hear and they start to have these discussions. So the more you build that into the business, the better. And with us, we're different than other platforms where we're in Silicon Valley, you know, making technology to connect. We, we do that, but we have offices, we have community gatherings, we have ways for people to really understand that we, un we know them, we know what the nationality is of, of our workforce. We know, the communities they live in. We support their soccer leagues. We do all sorts of interesting things like that because that's how you break down the communication barriers and that's how you start to engage. And you know, another point, and I know I got, I, I know I'm, I, I don't want to run late, but what else shows up here is creativity. See, that's the key. See creativity, because when people feel like they're, they're, they're really hurt and you're engaging and you're vulnerable, they're more likely to say possibly a nice, creative idea or start to think more about your business or how to do things better when they're not at work because they really care about it. Because it's not like they see, wow, our revenue is going to quadruple. They don't care so much about that unless they're in a commission position, right? What they care about is, man, I love being there. My voice is heard and what I say matters. And so in that way, I'm going to say more stuff. And isn't that what you want, especially in an adaptive environment, right? Where things just change so quickly. And you want to be able to be as competitive as possible. So the more companies that adopt this from, from top down, the more competitive you are, the more engaged your employees are. And ultimately, your customers are going to see that in the quality of the product or the service that you have. Yeah, that creativity and curiosity. The double A did not let us down. Alex Atwood, come back and join us for sure. CEO of GravyWork, gravywork.com. Uh, what a great two-sided marketplace providing value and community and keeping everybody engaged. Come back and join us, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. Will do. Thanks, BB. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> right on. I'm BB. BB. I love that one, BB. All right. <laughs> well, this, this one's too much of a layup when we're talking about this name right here. <laughs> Matthew Ars. I'm not going to comment. CEO and founder of MGA Consulting, Inc. Uh, welcome to Office Hours, Matthew. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate the uh, the welcome back. It was fun last time, so excited to be here. Yeah, well, you're living proof when we say, "Hey, come on back," that uh, we actually mean it. And uh, but you're doing you're doing such great work in the community that I had to have you Thank back. You. And it's a critical life issue for for everyone that we live in 
such an affluent, opportunistic country and uh, the biggest cities that we have uh, have the biggest problems uh, about maintaining and sustaining its population uh, with the basic necessities. And Los Angeles is uh, no different than other big cities in the United States. And you're addressing that right on with the Save LA collection um, and helping uh, to resolve and create solutions uh, for our homeless, especially. So welcome back and give us a little bit of an idea just to meet you where you're at. You know, how big of a problem is this today? And, you know, maybe give a little background on how you're addressing it. Yeah, of course. This is one of, if not the biggest crisis in Los Angeles right now. I mean, if you're living here, you walk around and you just, you see people on the streets and Unfortunately, it's it's sort of become this thing that is just accepted or seemed like it was accepted by people in LA and overlooked or seemed to be uh, become an annoyance to people. And my partners and I really wanted to come up with a way to combat that, but to also help raise awareness on the issue to let people know, no, this is not okay. This is something that we need to change. This is something that uh, we need to be active about. So the first thing that I thought about was uh, not only partnering with a lot of, of different agencies and companies, but also about fashion, right? Because fashion is something that you're wearing, you walk around and all of a sudden you're a walking billboard. Um, so I partnered with a historic uh, streetwear brand here in Los Angeles called Hot Rod. We got together the designers at MGA Consulting created the Save LA collection. So it's a series of hoodies, t-shirts, and hats that have the Save LA logo, but also a burning palm tree, which is a uh, symbolic of what's going on in the city. Essentially, it's burning down uh, to raise awareness. And then I partnered with a nonprofit organization called Hope the Mission, that they're incredible. They've been fighting against homelessness in Los Angeles for about 15 to 20 years. And we said, we're gonna start with one project, right? We're gonna revamp an old hotel that used to be a hub for prostitution and drugs right in the center of LA in downtown Los Angeles. Um, so we raised money to revamp this hotel into a shelter for homeless women and homeless children. And luckily, thankfully, we were able to raise the money to revamp the entire hotel, which will be opening a, or having the grand opening in about a week. Uh, and it will house over 200 uh, women and children. And uh, the Save LA collection has been, has been doing really well. It's been, it's been gaining a lot of attention. Luckily, we've, we've had a good amount of press from a lot of different stations and some wonderful folks like you guys. So we definitely appreciate that. And I've actually been working on the second line of hoodies that are going to come out in the, uh, in the next month or so for, for, for spring. So we're, we're extremely excited about it and, and proud of what we've accomplished so far. I love that. I love that. And uh, yeah, congratulations on the opening of the hotel. That's, that is a very significant milestone. Uh, and yeah, I've got a, just a, a quick question for you, Matthew, here. And just in terms sure. of scaling, um, my experience with a lot of you know, 
problems that we have on the planet are that people look at some of these global problems, some of these national problems, and they seem so big. They're beyond the human scale, so to speak. So it's kind of like, who am I to fix this? Who am I to do anything about this? So it continues to be a nuisance. And I guess where I'm going with this is, what was it that flipped that switch for you? That in in my, my language here, do what I can where I am with what I have that allowed me to begin to reach out to make the difference that you're, and I mean, this hotel is a big deal. This, this shelter is a big deal. What was the switch that got flipped for you? For me, it, I think doing what you love is important. So mm-hmm. uh, marketing and, and creating something out of nothing and, and bringing brands together, all of these things really interested me. But I wanted to figure out how to use those talents yeah. to serve others, right? It's like, how can I, how can I serve? How can I be of, of service? And you, I walked outside and I saw a problem that needed solving. And I think the hotel, although it will, you know, house over 200 women and children, like I mentioned it in the grand scheme of things, it is, you know, a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. But our plan is to show people that it's possible and you can make a change. You can make a difference. And then to recreate that, we're already looking for the next project. Okay, so what's the next thing that we're going to do that we need to raise money and build awareness and then recreate it again and again and again. And to show people that not only if you come together, you can make a difference, but hopefully when people see that, they're inspired to also make some meaningful change on their own, however it may be. Uh, whether if it's this issue or something else, but hopefully they they see the story or they see the uh, person wearing a hoodie and they ask the question, where yeah. did you get that hoodie? What is that? And then it begins that conversation and letting them into the story and letting that person who's wearing the hoodie tell that story for us. And hopefully that just uh, continues on and has a life of itself. And it's already happening, you know, beyond for the next project, you were able to establish some great partnerships uh, with a lot of different groups, teams, leagues, organizations. Um, What type of relationships have you already established uh, that's supporting this cause in Los Angeles? Give uh, everyone an example of how people do come together. We have so many examples of separation. Uh, I love the unified, abundant, infinite uh relationships that seem to have evolved uh by doing good deeds i always say be kind to your future self do good deeds this is a classic example uh i was hoping to finish up you could share some of those partnerships that you were able to cultivate with this project yeah so at my firm one of the things that we help our clients with is um creating partnerships between them and other organizations and Uh, different sponsorships. So I had all of these contacts at major sports organizations like the LA Chargers, uh, the LA Galaxy, different radio stations like Power 106, uh, Mega, which is a huge Spanish station here in Los Angeles. So I already had all of these relationships. So I literally went into meetings with all of them and just pitched them on the whole idea. I was like, listen, you guys are here. This LA Chargers, right? LA Galaxy, this is your city, this is my city, this is what we're doing, 
and we need you guys to come on board. We need you guys to help and, and back us and show your support. So they all, every single one of them, supported us, donated money, um, were there to help us in uh, for the, uh, we, we threw a huge fundraiser, they all showed up. Uh, so it was really heartwarming to see that not only did they talk the talk, but they walked the walk and, and stood by us uh, throughout that process. So it was a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, when you stand by others, others will stand by you. HotRodLA.com, CEO of Vonder MGA Consulting, doing great work. Let us all know so we can promote the grand opening. We're going to support hundreds of families and children in Los Angeles. And believe it or not, everybody benefits. It go, It also raises the property values and the safety uh, and the health care. All of those things are interrelated when we give people a safe place to live. Matthew Ars. Thank you for joining us. And as always, please come back and let's promote the crap out of this so more people can help more people. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. You guys are both doing amazing things, so I appreciate it. And and next time I come back, I want to see you guys both in hoodies. All right? All right, man. Send them out. Got them. I love it. Thank you so much. Take care. (laughs) All right. Blaine, it's time. What's the takeaway for the day? Takeaway for the day. Um... All three of our guests today, uh, for me, talked about the ceiling that leaders create for their organizations to thrive. And, you know, whether it's through the notion of accountability, uh, you know, what, how, what does that actually mean? Um, you know, just the idea of, yeah, this homelessness issue is my issue. You know, you know, kind of where's the ceiling in terms of my actions, do what I can where I am with what I have. And then, you know, the hospitality, this is the front-facing part of the business. Every business, I mean this literally, every business has a hospitality component to it. Yeah, internally as well as externally. So the, the, sum, the summation of this is you know, just kind of an aphorism. Yeah, I live daily, but I only die once. So what am I doing in the daily living that I'm doing? If I act as if this is my life, I'm going to start taking action in ways that I haven't before. And that can transform everything that goes on around us. Yeah. The ambassadors of first impression, that's an absolute, um, for me, it's the leadership side and looking at compassionate leaderships, but this idea of pandemic of leadership was Mm -hmm. my takeaway that, uh, you know, we, we do have to focus on the coaches, the mentors and the teachers, the leaders, that are empowering others to empower others. And uh, I'm doing a training tomorrow of the great realization uh, coming out of the great resignation. And the realization is that we have to raise the bar. Uh, Technology has allowed us to be extremely productive, accessible, even gracious with very little effort. But yet it's that desire that fulfills us, that passion and purpose that comes from the desire that we must be what we can be regardless of where we are and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Blaine Bartlett, you taught me that lesson many years ago and continue to check out Compassionate Capitalism. It deals with these and other issues uh, in a very, very articulate way. BlaineBartlett.com, you can get the book there. Thank you so much for joining us. I will see you next week. Next week. I may drop in on your show tomorrow or your training tomorrow. That sounds fascinating. I would love it. Anytime, you're welcome. It's <laughs> okay. on every single platform, so we're easy to find. Thank I know. you, Blaine Bartlett. Thank you, all of our great guests. Thank you, Luca. Thank you, Gigi. Remember, everyone, be more interested, 
than interesting. And this is a great place to do it here on Office Hours. Be kind to your future self. We'll see you tomorrow. Training's at 6 a.m. We are in the multi-platform training, 6 a.m. Pacific time, 9 a.m. Eastern time. We've been doing it for over 23 years. Over 80,000 people registered. If you haven't registered, david at dmeltzer.com. I'll throw in a book. I'll sign it. Pay for shipping and the book if you register for free Friday training. If it's free, it's we here on Office Hours. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Have a great night. Thank you, everyone.